Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray at the helm for better or worse as we settle in for another rambling chat about all things golf. After several weeks of Skype and digital interviews, we're getting back to doing one of my favourite things this week as we welcome our guest right into Talking Golf Central Studio One. Sydney-based course architect Harley Cruz has made the journey to the sprawling Sydney Podcast Studios complex and we'll be along in just a moment to talk all things golf. However, Harley's place in the welcome to the show pecking order is one rung below that of my erstwhile co-host. And while I don't share him with the ringing endorsements that Derek Duncan does during the book club episodes... Deep downs, he knows he wouldn't still be here if I didn't think he was all right. I speak, of course, of Adrian Logan. Adrian, you must be ecstatic to reach the dizzying heights of all right on the Mori How I Judge People scale. It's high praise coming from you, Rod. <laughs> so generous. Seven. Hey? <laughs> yeah. About the equivalent of a Doke 7. Good to have you along. Tell the people where they can find us. And I know you're prepared for that this week because it's the third week in a row I've asked you. Let me think. Yeah. I, they can find me at Adrian Logue on Twitter and you at Rod underscore Mori on Twitter. And uh, you're on Instagram. Uh, You've got a website. Instagram, nobody goes there. It's, it's com. That's all good. Talkinggolf.com for the network. Where can people find Harley? You weren't ready for that, were you? No. Harley can <laughs> tell us himself in a moment when I bring him. Enough out of us two. We're here every week. A man who's not here every week, though it would be good if he could be, is today's guest, Harley Cruz. Harley's a Sydney-based course architect. He's been in the business for the best part of three decades. That achievement, though, pales in significance when you consider Harley's our first in-studio guest to be invited back. Harley, this is your second trip into the very womb of the Talk and Golf Network here. A red-letter day for you, I suppose. Welcome, mate. Well, thank you, Rod, and uh, good to see you too, Mr. All Right. Mr. All Right, you have reached the dizzying heights of All Right. I, I did have a little smirk when I wrote that this morning no, because I thought that was that's uh, good. That was quite nice. Not here to talk about us. Harley, what have you been up to, my friend? Lots to talk about, as always, in the world of course and course architecture. What have you been up to in these COVID times? Yeah, good good call. COVID times has limited the uh, clip the wings a bit in terms of travel, that's for sure. Um, but is that a good or a bad thing? Lots of travel in your you must get sick of it. Sometimes. Yeah, a lot of tra- – well, actually, yeah, there's time to reflect a bit. And uh, one of those reflections recently was probably six weeks ago before the COVID uh, proverbial hit the fan in Melbourne. I was at down – I drove down to Melbourne instead of flying. And uh, In the Subi? In the Subi. We're, we're, we're Subaru people. Correct. Yeah. Subi on, on cruise. Rod's Subaru's made it down to Melbourne and back many times. Many, many <laughs> times. <laughs> Partly because he's terrified of flying. I yes. know our listeners know that. But little, little fa- if you want to terrify Rod, send him – DM him some uh, – Aeroplane disaster stories. Oh, I'm withdrawing your all right privileges, I think. You did do that to me once and it was horrible. Harley, sorry, mate. Yes, yeah, so I had the, had the Subi ride down to Melbourne, which was a good nine hours of thinking time and, and a few chats and phone calls along the way. But uh, So, yeah, which is a bit better than flying. You get to see a bit more of the country, of course, when you, when you drive. And um, down to Commonwealth Golf Club, where I've got a role there with... Um, with a, with a few things basically, uh, which is all interesting, which will come out shortly, I guess. But uh, there's the vegetation role, which is going on for a while, um, and the club's in a good position and sort of embarking on sort of a, a broad broad master plan for their for their course. So yeah, it's, it was a good trip down there and popped in a couple of sandbell courses and decided to come back on uh, I guess it's highway highway one around the coast and oh, okay, back yeah. through a beautiful uh, drive, isn't it? and visit my client at Bateman's Bay, Lovely. which is Club Catalina, mm-hmm. which I saw on the news this morning. It's, it's under half half the course is underwater. Yeah. But you know, there's a course that suffered from bushfires in January and then uh, COVID now. So um, 
it was good to get the lie of the land, actually. Actually, another course I dropped into on the way through was Lee and Gatha, which was a little mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. pleasant surprise, which I hadn't been to in, in many years. So it was good to see. I'll get you to come and start. A bit closer to that mic, can't we, as we go on. The Vern Morecambe. Uh, design, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. one of Vern Morecambe's and a really great piece of land and just a humble country regional course outside Melbourne, which is uh, you know, a very passionate group of, uh, of members. How do we rate the courses down that south coast? I was down there myself after the bushfires to write a series of stories for Golf New South Wales about the bushfires and what the clubs had been through and the impact of it all. There's some amazing land down there, isn't there, the south coast of New South Wales and that whole coastal road. Have we made the most of it? And the rumour gets a lot of attention. It's got that spectacular par three where they filmed the cigarette ad with Paul Hogan all those years ago and it's never been forgotten. It is a good, fun golf course, Naruma. What did you make of the land as you drive up and down that part? Yeah, look, it's it's good question. There's a mix, but we, I haven't seen any sort of classic, you know, dunes on the ocean type land. No, no. Um, it's more sort of cliff top. Naruma's yeah, much more like Pebble Beach in that cliff top. Yeah, looking. correct. And, and yeah, you've got that stunning cliff top environment. Uh, Club Catalina's just a bit in from the coast, but it's mm. all sand, and oh. which is... Uh, which is, was a pleasant surprise when I first went there. Um, it's flattish, virtually almost dead flat, but just beautiful subtle undulations and uh, and subtle rises and what have you. And and it's uh, been sand, I think, and twenty seven holes of golf. It has enormous potential. So uh, and so and and as a destination for golf, if you look at um, you know Mollymook, uh, Club Catalina, Batemans Bay, Maria Golf Course, and then the Rumor, there's a destination oh, there really for. Good tracks to go and play. You could fly into Marie if you want to fly. You could just drive down the coast, and you've got a good, good. And if you want to go further south, you've got Tura Beach and Marimbula and Pambula and those. The Shoalhaven Heads as Shoalhaven. well. Yeah, correct. Shoalhaven Golf Course, so, yeah. and they need you. Those clubs at the moment. Absolutely, the COVID they thing they really didn't need because they were devastated by the fires. It's a tourist area. The population doubles yeah. there in summer, maybe quadruples actually, yeah. in a place like Batemans Bay, and they rely on that. Well, of course, that was taken away correct. with the fires, and what they really needed was for people to start coming back. Just when people were ready to maybe start coming back, COVID hit and, of course, travel gets upended and you yeah. can't help but feel for all those moteliers and hospitality industry people down there. Just decimated the place, just yeah. awful. So if you can get down there, and it's a, it is well worth going to play some yeah. golf down there and it is a good part of the world. You're touching on something, Harley, that we wanted to talk to you about today, regional golf. It's probably really when you think about it. When we think about golf and golf courses, we always think about the Royal Melbournes and the Yarra Yarra and Victoria and Peninsula and Augusta National and Pebble Beach. It's not the bulk of golf, is it? The bulk of golf is, in fact, probably regional golf even more so than suburban golf. And you do a bit of work in the regions. You do a bit of work up at Scone. What what do we get right and wrong in regional golf? Well, I think just in terms of, the, I guess, the number of golf courses, I think nearly every country town has a golf course of some sort, yeah, you know, whether it's, a, you know, the nine-hole <coughs> nine municipal course that was laid out in the 20s or 30s. You know, there's nearly every, you know, you go back out back Australia, nearly every golf ta- every town still has a golf course of some sort. So I think, um, and whether it's, you know, uh, sandscape greens or, or turf greens, the, the game of golf goes right throughout regional Australia. So, um, and yeah, you've got, Back into the cities, you've probably got 110 golf courses in suburban Melbourne, for example, and you go outside of Melbourne and the numbers jump you know, mm. pretty quickly with rural towns. So there's a lot to be said for going around and discovering and exploring um, little golf courses, be it nine or 18 holes in, in regional towns. Mm. I played a lot of golf. Well, I grew up in the Hunter Valley and uh, I played a lot of golf. Got older in the Hunter Valley. I'm not sure you actually grew up, did you? Well, 
Oh, I've really oh, turned on you wow. since the opener, haven't I? Wow. Sorry, mate. Um, <laughs> I reset the balance, I think. Yeah. And uh, I uh, played most of my golf at Maitland, uh, which was is a great country course, big open sort of fairways and a lot of fun and good piece of land, actually, uh, and just a good fun sort of place to have a hit. But in the uh, as you sort of move up the upper hundred towards Scone, there's there's some great courses on that. Well, not great courses, but there's some fun golf to be had up that way. I, I played a fair bit at Brankston and Curry Curry there, and it's you know there's clover all over the fairways, and it's there's no rough to speak of, and they all kind of went on a tree planting scheme at some point in the club's history. So you've got the the row of sentinel trees separating every fairway. Soldier. Um, but uh, other other than that, it's it's just pretty pure paddock golf in in a couple of those places, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And my impression of Scone and there's, there's up that way there's Musselbrook and Aberdeen as well. Yeah. But my impression of Scone is that uh, I never went up that far, but that it it looks like really great sort of uh, country golf now. And you, you did some work on uh, rerouting it, as I understand, when yeah. they had some uh, freeway go through or something. Yeah, the, so the, the town was having its upgrade, which was a bypass, and uh, that was basically to send all the all the semi trailers around the outside of town and get the traffic. You know, going around the, the skirting the edge to uh, allow them to revamp the centre of town. But in doing so, they were going to take up land which was occupied by the, the, the existing nine-hole Scone golf course. So um, RMS, in their budget to re, you know, redo the road, had allocated some funds to redo the um, displacement, I guess, of the of the golf holes. So fortunately, the, the, uh, it's uh, next to a recreational area that, of, that belongs to the town. Fortunately, there was... Um, Land that had been bequeathed to the to the to the local community uh, many many decades ago by a farmer, and um, so new holes were laid out in in the old paddocks, and uh, it basically you know the old rural fences and the old uh, pasture grasses and what have you, and a bit of a creek running through and a little bit of a dam, and and so that land was made available. So we're actually able to basically reroute the golf course, uh, fix some safety problems, reversed a couple of holes to get golf shots, you know, slicing inwards to the to the golf um, and used the best of this beautiful little subtle undulating land that was there and some beautiful big river, river red gum trees and things like that and uh, got some pretty cool golf holes that fundamentally, you know, whether it was a for a big ticket client doing a brand new golf course or just the, the scone nine-hole public golf course, it's getting that foundation and the routing of the golf course right, and uh, which I think we did with that that new layout. Great, great design doesn't have to cost any more, does it? No, it just it's it's just applying design to a site uh, and and design minds to a site and and finding the best golf holes and there's you know it doesn't have to cost more. So well, in, in fact, fact, it can cost less. Correct, kind of, yeah, it can actually cost less because we're not forcing we're not forcing the golf into the site. We're not forcing big earthworks. Clever designs about finding those golf holes and minimising. All the earthworks, so um, unnecessary bunkers, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think. Oh, look, I think they've got ten bunkers on the nine holes, and uh, and it's overbunkered. Yes, <laughs> one, one has clearly got two bunkers. Yeah, whose right. idea was that? Who's going to rake that harlot? That's right. Yeah. One hole is you're quite clever there, Rod. One hole probably does have two bunkers. You better go up and find out which one it is. <laughs> well, we're, we've been talking about, it, haven't we, Adrian, about maybe going and doing a bit of a trip, Here, which is a different theme. But golfers, do yourself a favour. Go out and play some regional golf from time. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. We all seek the big-name courses. We all want to play the big-name courses, of course. But there's some great fun to be had in Harley invariably. And this, I think this is true of suburban courses as well. No matter who designed and built them, there's almost always at least one hole on every golf course that makes you go, wow. Mm-hmm. Often by accident, 
<laughs> you know, local council town planner just happened to decide we'll put a green there and a tea there and create something quite – you see the really good, fun, quirky stuff, don't you, when you go and play regional – Regional yes. courses. Yeah, you certainly do. And yeah, without a doubt, there's, there's quirky stuff. And actually, like, oh, well, it's quirky. I was up at Blackheath last Friday, and, and there's a um, a par three 17th hole there now where, <coughs> excuse me, the tees are spread around the, around a damn wall. And the, it's a pot across a pond to a little mm-hmm. green in a corner, shadowy uh, corner with uh, some azaleas and things like that. And I I stood there, and I haven't seen anything like that ever in Australia. And it was like, it was a bit of a wow moment. You know, it was, it was uh, so. And and sometimes you know if you've been a member of that golf club for years you sort of take it for granted and yeah, then you, but that's you, right. you turn up there as a haven't been in there before and you go wow this is pretty good and and actually the land is pretty nice for the whole eighteen holes when you start to look at it so might be the prettiest uh, golf course I think in New South Wales Blackheath it's got a tree issue I think yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> might yeah, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Might be a lot, more of, than a lot of different specimens there isn't there but, but it really yeah. is a very pretty you go up there in the autumn. It's similar where you go out to Bathurst and Orange and those places. As the trees are turning, it's a yeah. stunning landscape. Truly beautiful. Yeah. It's very much continental Europe type of yeah, feel breathtaking. About it, yeah, that's very yeah. much so breathtaking because yeah. it's cold up there and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so. it's your thousand metres above sea level. It's worth well worth the drive and um, you know pick your days. You've got a nice sunny day like it was last Friday. It was stunning. So, so yeah, and it's the road trip, isn't it? Getting out there and doing the Aussie road trip. Good old Aussie road trip with you know the clubs in the in the boot and uh, go out and enjoy you know the other places like you know. Duntry League at Orange and oh, Mudgee Golf Course yeah. and oh. Dubbo and Dubbo. all these places. Yeah. You know, you can do a nice circuit. Um, golf golf Safari, someone was calling it to me the other day. Never heard oh. that word. Golf oh. Safari or Golf Safari. I, I hate it. I hate it. Never say that again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay. how, many, how many F's in that? Is it just the one F like talking yeah. golf? Oh, I don't know. Is the F doing the heavy lifting for both Golf and Fari in that term? I, I think it definitely I'm is. not sure. The key to what you've described there with Scone, I guess, Harley, is funding. And it's the issue that most regional courses and most suburban courses bump up against, isn't it? The idea of having some funds to do something. Now, they've obviously – they had some funds and some land, so it's the perfect marriage there, to do something significant. What about for all of those clubs who don't? Out there somewhere is a member of a golf club who's a lone wolf in the golf club, the only one who thinks about architecture in the course and its future, while everybody else complains about the quality of the sand and the rough on the left of the seventh hole. What should they be thinking? What can they be thinking? They keep coming back to that great quote, which Clates keeps re mentioning as well. 80% of golf course problems could be fixed with tree pruning and changing of mowing lines uh, before you even start on construction stuff. Those people who would like their course to be architecturally better and more interesting but don't have a whole lot of money, what sorts of things can they do? Yeah, well, it, it, you've, it's a good good question, actually, and you, you talk about just you know, mowing lines and tree removal. That's exactly what we're doing down at Club Catalina Batemans Bay. Um, I said to them, I can design you brand new golf holes, we can do new greens, but you know, in your, in your sort of careful step-by-step process, um, without spending a lot of money, I went out there for two or three hours of my time and marked with a blue paint can the various different old, falling over, die, dying, deceased, you know, end-of-life pine trees were planted in the 50s and 60s. And I said, the best thing I think we can do for your golf course is just remove 80 existing trees and uh before they fall over important yeah well, they're in a lot <laughs> on of somebody and then they and the bushfire and the drought of summer have seen more casualties as well but it's um i said this this is the best thing let's let's spend a year or so at least just removal and editing out the tree junk as i'd like to call it and uh and then you're going to have a golf course that's probably restoring it back to where it was in terms of width of corridors and space uh, and it's allowed the superintendent then to mow fairway lines back to where they were, and actually now there's some actually pretty good golf starting to happen just through the simple act of tree removal. And what's been the response? 
by the members because you know when you say let's take out some trees, the first thing that happens is probably a majority of the membership says, A, it'll make it too easy, B, it's environmental vandalism. So trees are contentious and golf relationship with trees is contentious. Non-golfers hear us say trees are bad for golf and that's all they hear, they don't hear anything else. And they think these guys, it, it plugs into that image of elite white people, middle-aged blokes who think they're masters of the universe and can do everything. So talk a bit about that relationship between trees and golf. Yeah, look, it's a motive issue, isn't it? And, it is. And uh, at any club, and you, you're going no matter what you do at any club, you're going to have people who like the place the way it is. And, and then the, those who will start to see, as you start to remove the trees, all of a sudden, oh, I can actually see that part of the fairway, or I can actually see those bunkers, or, you know, you know, I'm not sort of having to sort of shape one around a, a canopy of a tree that's coming halfway across the fairway just to get down to you know to the better spot on the on the landing zone of the fairway. So there's, a, I think, but the emotion around trees is big. I think if it's well explained and communicated to members, you know, the reasons for it, why it's said that these trees actually have a lifespan and their their lifespan is sort of coming to an end because seventy year old pine trees that have been shallow rooted on the sand are eventually coming to an end. There are dead trees out that we're going to move from safety point of view, but also um, tree removal to actually make a golf course safer. I think a lot of people planted trees in the 50s and 60s to try and separate and divide fairways. Well, in actual fact, uh, when you can get some width back, it actually, within a hole, it makes it a, a safer hole. But I think the other thing is to communicate, okay, if we're going to remove trees, what are we doing in, uh, in you know, that's the debit side of it. Mm-hmm. What are we doing to credit? So, you know, when I'm talking with clubs is, you know, we can have that tree removal program, but we're going to have a program of planting other things in the right places. So, so it's it's replenishment, I guess, you know. Uh, and I think when you start to bring it in those terms, I think you get a better acceptance. There's always be those, oh, you're going to make the course easier. Um, well, you can. And, and everybody, there's every club will say, oh, you're making the course easier. But you speak to the better golfers and generally it's not happening. The scores don't go down, do they? The scores don't go down. And I said, the old, you know, saying is, let's look at the scorecards each week mm-hmm. and just see where the scores are going. So, and of course, all the scoring is around the greens and not, not necessarily off. So, I think, I think they're finding that it's, while they think it's easier, but you know, it's, it's actually not the case. And the fact that, what, why does that equal bad anyway, easier? Correct. <laughs> well, people are getting around quicker. If it's speeding up the round of yeah. golf as well, instead of, you know, hitting wood and find, trying to find your ball and, you know, you know, one side or the other, and, you know, all this sort of business. You know, opening up the the playing arena, it makes so much sense. Yeah. I've often thought a great experiment for every club to do would be once a year, play a monthly medal off the most forward tees you have to the easiest pins you have, and then compare the scores to every other monthly medal from the rest of the year and see what the actual difference might be across the whole field. An interesting experiment. Honestly, they would be a little bit. Yeah, they would be, but it wouldn't be, it would be nowhere near what people think. And otherwise, I think anybody who's ever done I'd hope they're better. Otherwise, you're making a mockery of the horse <laughs> rating system. But. <laughs> <laughs> but I reckon it'd be brilliant. I reckon it'd be brilliant. Once a year, everyone's once, off. Exactly. Everyone's once off front tees. Once a and, year. And the other thing is, I'd take it. I'd, I'd, I'd say, let's do. We're going to play off the front tees, and you only allowed eight clubs in your bag. You monster. And and uh, and off <laughs> we go. And <laughs> off you, we go. What are and, you doing every week from now on? Come <laughs> and sit with us. Come. <laughs> Kumbaya. We'll all get. And how much fun would that be? You know, you can actually lift up your bag and carry it, and you can walk. Yeah. And, uh, and play off the front. We'd be around a bit quicker. Which and, a lot of people uh, have rediscovered in this COVID times when the carts were an issue and that sort of thing. A lot of people have gone back to walking and I think quite a few have been surprised at how much more enjoyable that is, um, particularly if the course lends itself to it, like what you're talking about at Batman's Bay. Something in winter as well I noticed walking is you can walk 
you know, you can walk across the greens, obviously, and you don't wear out the shoulders of the greens. And a lot of courses, you know, just with the dormancy of the grass at the moment, just everything, everywhere I look, the shoulders of the greens are all worn out because people just drag their buggies across there. And Back to the trees. There's two things you mentioned in there, Harley, that I wanted to explore a bit further. Firstly, the wrong trees in the wrong places. Do people understand that most of the trees on most of the golf courses around most of Australia don't actually belong there? Is that true? Have I made that up or is that true? Oh, look, I think... I, th- I think any. I think I've probably said this in a tweet at some stage. Any any golf course that's a tree golf course that's older than fifty years has a tree problem problem out there, and it's and it's largely, you know, well intentioned tree planting in the you know fifties, sixties, seventies, and uh, of probably the wrong species stuff that was seen to sort of beautify the golf course or. European. They got them for free or something from a nursery? Or- yeah, well, that's right. You, the trees came out of your forestry department nursery and they had Pinus radiata and uh, some cypresses and and a mixture of, of stuff that wasn't necessarily belonging to a site, but that's all you could commercially get. So, oh, that'll do, and we'll have a few natives and you know a few Western Australian flowering gums and and uh, and a few Grevillea robustas that come out of Queensland, and you know it's all they're from Australia, so they are native. Yeah. You can put them anywhere, and they're still and, in Australia. And they were planted with all good intentions, and you know we call it you know the noble act of planting a tree. There was a lot to be gained from planting a tree and watching it grow. And ten years later, you know you'd, you'd see something that was up there and contributing something to your golf course. The fact that it was probably two meters off the edge of the fairway at the time, which has you know, resulted in twenty years later the fairway going twenty meters inwards. Uh, was never really considered at the time, and there weren't—I mean, there weren't professionals really out there planting the trees. It was often just volunteers, with as it well-intentioned volunteers. Or of course, Super would have them dumped on him. Hey, yeah, got a yeah. bunch of trees that have come from over here. Can you plant them? Yeah, find somewhere to put them. <laughs> well, exactly right. I remember. I remember years ago there was a there was a phone call from a from a client. He said, "Oh, I've got a mate in Queensland. He's got a palm nursery and he's got trucks of palm trees coming down. Where can I put them?" You know, <laughs> no, nowhere near my golf course. Thank you very much. Would be the correct answer there. So, so, so it, it still goes on a little bit today. But the good thing about today is there's a lot more knowledge, a lot more in, uh, professional in the industry and people who specialise in that area. I guess and. Um, but coming through and editing the junk, shall we say, is is a critical part of said so any golf course that's older than fifty years with it is, that is treed is will have a tree issue to deal with and and it is amazing what can be achieved mm. for a small budget for a, for a, um, for a city course or a regional course with some very careful tree removal, but balancing the books by crediting with some other more localised vegetation planting in other areas. And the noble act of planting a 20 centimetre high shrub doesn't really make the grade compared with planting a 20 metre tall tree, but it can have an enormous contribution mm-hmm. to the golf course. No, well, Roy Melbourne proves that, doesn't it? We'll come back to that in just yeah. a moment. The other thing you said there, which I was intrigued by, was the safety issue. And it's generally what people are thinking when they put rows of big trees between fairways. We'll protect that fairway from this by putting this large, effective wall up of trees. And you said that that actually isn't – I was intrigued by that. What do you mean by wider golf courses can be safer? Yeah, it's – it's, um, and I've seen this already at Club Catalina where you could be on, the say, the right edge of a fairway, on the mown fairway, and you had trees blocking your shot to the green, and you're perfectly good position on the fairway. Well, in order to get to the green, you have to sort of shape – a shot around the trees, and and of course, if you don't quite pull it off, next minute you've you've hit it and you've hooked it over, and you're on the left side of the fairway, perhaps into the next hole. Oh, the and double, that's where double things, cross. Yeah, that's where yeah. things start to get dangerous. Had the trees not been there, 
I had a chance of advancing my shot forwards to the green, as would have been originally intended when the golf course was laid out. So there's an example of just allowing more forward play as opposed to all this sideways play that starts to bring danger into the yeah. into the You can see situation. trouble coming at you as well with a bit of vis- visibility, right, between fairways. You can, Correct. You can see somebody's hitting and you can look out for it. And- Correct. That's right. Visibility makes a big, a big, big thing. And I think a lot of the thing with planting the trees is, oh, we'll plant the trees and we'll separate the golf holes and so you, you're playing in this golf hole where you can't see anything. Well, of course, you know, the classic example even... Um, you know, with Royal Sydney, there was a lot of trees planted in the late 40s and early 50s. And, and today, you basically look through under the trunks, across mown turf, mown turf, under the trunks of the paper bark, through to the next hole, and then the next hole beyond the next. You can look across about four holes. There's no privacy being achieved by um, the tree planting. It might have been for the first 10 or 15 years, but not anymore. So Probably personal taste, but do we want to play on golf courses that are narrow, secluded, <laughs> self-contained series of holes? I think there's a an attraction to those big places that are cut out of a forest, it, it, like those European courses mm. where it's cut out of a forest and there is – It's a big to property. Do that. It's a difficult to do that. It's a big property and you've truly got separation, like the Pine Valley type of – Yeah, you need a lot concept. of land. Yeah, you? that's right. But where, where it's a small course and, you know, you've just planted trees to create an artificial sense of separation, you're never actually achieving it. Yeah, yeah. You'd yeah. yeah. be better off without that. Yep. How much is the discussion around trees, both within and from outside of golf, totally uneducated? I'm guessing that as a golf course architect, and I'm always surprised at Clates' knowledge of trees, which I think is probably you have to know about trees, don't you, and what species belong. Yeah, look, Clates is, um, uh, I guess, he, you know, he you know he has. He's, he's, he's made a point. I, I Years ago, and he's got a copy of it, and I don't. I wish I did. I wrote an article for <laughs> Turfcraft magazine uh, and at the time, he, he sort of took a photocopy of it and started putting it in front of different clubs he was talking to. Give it, it back, Clates. Give it, it back. He talked about the, um, you know, the, back in the 20s and 30s, there was things called acclimatisation societies in, in, in Sydney and Melbourne, and they were basically trying to Europeanise yeah. our landscapes, you know. The, the bush was this sort of this, this terror that, the, the, you know, this Aussie bush had to be tamed and, and you had to sort of plant things to make things look like, you know, the mother country in Europe. So oak trees and liquid ambers and... Rabbits and foxes. And, and cypresses and all that. And pine trees and all that. It was all <laughs> part of the, the drive of... of, of and, it, and golf courses didn't escape that either. And uh, anyway, I wrote a bit about it. This was, I'm talking early 90s, I think it was. And... Uh, and Clates grabbed hold of that, but he's he's made it a point. And I think too, you know, because he's 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 I guess he's been a point of uh, contention amongst some clubs. And you know, look, he's he's right in in often what he says, but maybe the delivery uh, hasn't quite <laughs> quite resonated with too many members. But so he's made it a uh, he's made it a a mission to to I guess learn and study more about it. And and and, and to his credit, so have you been the same though? Have you learned? By osmosis, a bunch of stuff about trees. I imagine you must include. Well, I did, a horticultural, I did a horticultural degree oh, back in the back in go. the back in the eighties. So I might, and that's part of the reason why I'm in the game of golf. I I came through as a horticultural degree and a landscape architecture degree into working for Peter Thompson and uh, Ross Perrett and Michael Woolridge's company, basically specialising in the area of the golf course oh. landscape. So I come from that background. So, so can golf fit then in society? Lots and lots and lots of people will tell you that golf courses are ecologically bad, that the land should be used for something else, that golf is greedy, wasteful, and takes up space that could be put to better use doing something else. Yeah, well, I think the thing is is the potential of what golf has, you know, and, and some... 
I think a small minority of golf courses or a small minority of the image of golf uh, has probably done some of the damage. And, and, uh, and yeah, is it, have golf courses been – are there bad examples of golf courses around the world? Yes, Absolutely. there are. You know, mm-hmm. there's been golf courses that have, you know – you know, had had you know, I guess we're talking about the advent of the bulldozer that came post World War Two out of the uh, out of the old army tank. Out came bulldozers, and then you could literally move mountains. So there's been you know golf courses that haven't um, been great examples of you know design, construction, and actually their operation. But I think within the community, um, if we look at the good examples, th- those golf courses that are the good examples are actually significant remnants of, of vegetation, significant rem- remnants of undisturbed land. Uh, the land that you know, Royal Melbourne sits on, for example, has never been disturbed. That land is the shape of the land that was there when, when the club sort of got hold of the land in, in the, in, back in the, uh, the early days when they moved from... Um, from Malvern down to to where they are today, so that you know everything else around the streets, the suburbs, the houses, that land's all disturbed. And you're walking through the gates of Roma, and then the shape and the contours and the vegetation is the is the real land that was once there. Sort of, you know, it, it is in fact considered a very important snapshot of the local native vegetation, Royal Melbourne, isn't it? Now, I'm not mistaken. I was had the privilege of chatting with Richard Forsyth, ahead of the President's Cup, the course super at which is understating his role to call him the course super. I think he's actually got a fancier title than that. Yeah, director of courses. I director think of courses, I think. his title that's, today. Yeah. That's correct. Each October, I think he told me, the local there's a local plant society. They come and Royal Melbourne has essentially an open day and I've got a feeling they harvest local plant yeah. species that are taken out and planted elsewhere around the district. Am yeah, I right about it's that? It's pretty special. They've got, um, they've got species of plants that exist nowhere else on nowhere Earth. Nowhere else, that's right. So the actual... Uh, construction or the building of or creation of that golf course has, has actually been protected um, and and has endangered species on it that which are we're protected by the virtue of having a golf course. But yeah, it's Royal Melbourne's opened up. They've got bi- biologists and botanists from um, so botanists I should say from the University of Melbourne coming down to look at study the plants. You've got the local um, Sandringham Nursery, which is big on collecting seed of all the local flora, which Royal Melbourne is a source of, and actually Royal Melbourne actually even buys back plants from from the uh, from that little community nursery. So there's a there's a great interaction at the flora level. They have member uh, days just walking through looking at flora, and they open up the course. So it's um, so the flora of that course is pretty special. Um, and yeah, Royal Melbourne's not alone. There's other golf courses around, and 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 both uh, city and r- rural golf courses where the actual yeah, the act of creating this this place to play this wonderful game has created a model, call it an economic model, where vegetation and the and the natural landscape can be protected. You go you know nearby, say in Sandringham, and there's a public park. Well, it's just slashed with a tractor and a slasher that just mows you know tree to tree, wall to wall of, of slashing because so mum and dad and kids can ride around. But that local flora that once existed is not protected. So, so golf courses have a special role and responsibility, I guess, in that regard. And I think. Um, you know, and it, as it is, it too late if you've you've gone in there and it was a cleared paddock and you you know you planted pine trees in the fifties, sixties. Is it too late to actually come back and actually contribute more in the future? No, it's not. And so I think there are, and and then clubs and 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 other um, specialists are now sort of realising we can actually give a bit back with some of our vegetation. And you know, you know, even places like Royal Sydney, they're important green spaces mm. in the urban environment um, of large large scale. 
Uh, wow, already plenty to chew on here from Harley and still plenty more to come, but let's take a quick breather now and while you're digesting some of the big ideas that he's been introducing us to, allow me to plant the seed of our network sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au. The top brands in apparel, shoes and accessories, all in one convenient online location and a $25 discount off your first purchase if you're a Talking Golf listener. Just head to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf. That's the important part, people. Don't forget that if you want your discount. Just the 1G in Talking Golf. If you're at all unsure, scroll down a bit and find the link in the show notes. Thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Talking Golf. Now back to Harley Cruz and some of the bigger issues confronting the game of golf. A uniquely Australian environment, where, which I know you've had a fair bit of experience with working with Bob Harrison, is that uh, that hinterland type of environment where it's rocky and dry and just gum trees and hilly and dusty and like, maybe you look at it, it just so, it seems like the worst place yeah. in the world for golf. I was going to say, you can't wait to get there. Yeah. You're really selling it, <laughs> mate. Yeah. But you, when working with Bob, and Bob's done other courses, like the, I don't know if you worked on Bungool at uh, Riverside Oaks, but um, no, I didn't. Some, some yeah, of the yeah. other ones that Bob's done. Yeah. That the, taking on those projects in that tough terrain and creating something pretty natural, you actually can't help but like make it a natural setting because you can't. It's, it's just there's so much of that scrub and land to deal with that you, it's all you can do just to get get rid of it to clear the corridors and then. Uh, you've got, and you can't really dig too deep because there's a lot of rock and everything. Is what, what's the challenge like of creating yeah, a golf course in an environment like that? Yeah, you've really got to. Um, I guess you've got to go in there and sort of with a sort of minimal disturbance type approach. And you know, Bob, I think the most amazing golf course that, that Bob did was the one at um, down at Altona in Victoria. The um, what's the name? Sanctuary of it? Lakes. Sanctuary Lakes. Mm. Yeah, he often points that and says that yeah, was, look, that I, was an achievement. And I think you know Pelican, that, Pelican there's an example of 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 um, at that same time Bob was doing the Moon of course at the National. So he had this most dream, <laughs> he had the most dream side of all, you know, doing the 18 holes of the Moon at the National, and and back up in Melbourne on the western side was the hot, dry, windblown, uh, flat, salt-ridden, basalt rock site um, where where Sanctuary Lakes was built. Was it a floodplain as well, just to top it off? Oh, it could have been. <laughs> probably could have. The, the trifecta, probably, trifecta? Probably could have been. And when you lit, you know, and they went to dig to sort of, you know, move things around a little bit and, and put a, oh, well, there's a bunker, intention for a bunker there. And they had a geo survey done, and Bob will often joke about this, that, that, that wherever the geo survey said there wasn't rock, you'd go and dig and they'd hit rock. And where it's... <laughs> where where it said there was rock, you go and dig. The, the whole thing was just a – so you had to be really flexible. You've got to work with the land. You've got to try and minimise the disturbance. And, you know, that was a that was an incredible achievement out of a really tough, difficult site. Um, and, and you know, you said salt and all those things. But, you know, you can find plants that can work with salt. You can you can do things cleverly. And, and you know, at the end of the day, that build um, – was done on a fairly modest budget, but the outcome was pretty good. And the vintage was the same. The vintage was a pretty hostile site. It's it's cold and freezes in winter, and it's hot and and humid in summer, um, with fairly fragile soils. So we've got to you've got to treat the land with respect and really work with the land. I think that's the key. And 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 get to know the soils and what's going on, and and work out what you're going to do. And if it might mean that you you end up with um, a lot less bunkering because, you know, bunkers are just difficult and expensive to achieve and that sort of ground. Well, 
it comes down back to good golf design and making it strategic and interesting and and challenging with 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 the modesty of I think I used the word the other day, embellishment, really. You know, if you get the fundamental routing right, bunkers and all these bits and pieces are part of the embellishment. And uh, so I think, you know, clever, it comes back to sort of clever design and working with the site. So many golf courses are over-bunkered like Scone, aren't they? Just way too many. Oh, so yep. Some of the holes are... <laughs> There's two bunkers <laughs> two, that hole. Have two, have <laughs> two bunkers. Well, I mean, a funny way, Harley, is what you've just described there with the elaborate process that Bob sort of went through. 60 years ago or 80 years ago, you probably wouldn't have tried to build a golf course on the Sanctuary Lake site. But if you look at regional golf in Australia, where quite often the the designer, for want of a better term, probably wasn't given a choice, no option but to work with what's there in a funny way. They don't have the funds for the bulldozers and the you you hear those famous stories of Japan in the 90s taking the tops off mountains and filling the valleys between them to create a flat area to build a golf course. That's clearly madness. But no opportunity to do that, and in some ways probably a blessing for a lot of regional courses. They didn't have the funds to not enough money to, to stuff bugger it up. It up. Exactly yeah, you can bugger it up, and 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 sort of, and so you get these sort of quirky little features that were, otherwise would have been sort of knocked out by the blade of a dozer in, in in one passing. You know, so there's you do get quirky little features and little bits and pieces that oh, and and you know some of it's some of it's pretty good, and some of it's like oh well, you know, had you had a little bit, of, but it's so it's I think yeah, you know, less less we tinker with the ground sometimes are better and and work with the ground that's there i've, I've always thought a, a place like north berwick is notable for the blandness of a lot of the land where it's but then it's punctuated by extraordinary features like yeah. and you just don't get that that unevenness in a completely sculpted course in, a, in something that's a completely sculpted environment nobody would let that unevenness come into it but you do have these remarkable sort of bland areas in in a place like North Berwick and the old course, for that matter. No, and then it's punched away. Than the first is just a flat, yeah, broad, no, crazy piece of land. That's right, and you wouldn't design that in in a CAD diagram. You'd you'd put some interest. No, in you there. probably would have walked out to the first green and said, right, well, we'll start the course here where the land gets interesting. At the old course, you wouldn't have started no, exactly. back here. Yeah. This is just a way to get from here to there, and it turns out, in fact, it can be intriguing. Sorry, Harley, I can't. I was going to say, the word bland, I think this is, bland Bland can be good. I think you need, you need a bit thank, of bland. Within, thank God. With, it, it makes within, the <laughs> dramatic stuff more dramatic. Correct. Within your own holes of golf, you've got to have a bit of blandness or, or yeah, we, you know, as golf architects, we'll strive, strive to make 18 fantastic, you know, stunning, visually dynamic, all those sorts of things, holes. But the actual fact, in a round of golf, you have one or two holes or areas that are bland. That really sort of, it's like a bit of a um, bit of a breather. You get a rest. Yeah. A bit of a breather in the round and, and actually helps you then show off the good bits. So I was involved with a project in Vietnam we did near the coast. And, you know, the most stunning sort of photographed hole is this par three with the ocean behind. And the next hole, and it was kind of deliberate, to be honest, but it was flat ground. It was sort of low and close to the water table. And I didn't really want to touch it too much because it was close to the water table. And so off the drive, there's no bunkers. It's a fairly flattish sort of fairway. And the whole hole is two mounds that was there prior to construction that we put the green behind, two tufted mounds with a little few native grasses on it, which the course is now 10 years old. Those two little tufted mounds have survived. I thought they might have been knocked out by now just through play, but they're still there. And so the flatness, then all of a sudden there's this, just two little bumps that are probably, you know, half a metre high, and then that's the hole. And it really – and then you go into the next sort of dramatic hole. So I think just having in that round a bit of blandness is actually a really good thing. Was it? Yeah. 
Simpson or Colt, I think, yeah, wrote so about the need for. I was going to say exactly a, the same sentence. I, I don't know whether it was Simpson or Colt. Yeah, yeah. But, but that requirement that if, if every hole is great, then none of them are great in a way. That there's got to be that breather of. Yeah. You know, you you can't make the walk from the fourth green to the fifth tee at Bamboo. You'll get there one day, Logue. Don't panic. <laughs> you, you can't you make you can't no make that on every hole because it loses its wow factor. Correct. If that's all you see. Yeah. So yeah. You the can't have happiness without sadness. All those sorts. Of, it's a bit about yeah, balance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So that, that's important. Yeah. Which isn't to say you build poor golf holes. That's right. You don't have to have golf holes with as much going on necessarily to still maintain interest. Some of the most intriguing features I I see and mostly in photographs these days, but uh, is like somewhere like the Heathland outside London where a place like Walton Heath is quite flat in a lot of areas. And you can see that the bunkers that they've just they've dug a hole and then just put the earth out in front of the bunker. And, and that served the, as the lip. And it looks pretty grotesque. Like, it's just this really weird shape where they've just dumped this dirt. But the bunker's down in the ground, mm. and the dirt's up in front of it. And it's otherwise just a completely flat fairway surrounding it. And it's a really weird look. But because of the native grasses and, and just, I think, the wear of time, time. it yeah. becomes incredibly natural looking. And yeah. even though it's clearly a man-made structure, yeah. and there's just something incredibly... Attractive about that. But. Ticking off, don't you? You've offended North Berwick. You've now offended Walton Heath. Who's next on the least for you today? <laughs> like, you, I don't know. We you're go, go, you're going quite work. nicely. One, one question I want to ask Harley actually is when you go beyond just vegetation management and mowing lines and a golf course approaches you about saying, you know, we want to be in the top 100 in golf courses oh, in Australia. So is, is, is that a goal <laughs> that anybody should start with with their golf course? We'll I, come back to that. Harley. That's I'll probably the opening finish. line that they will come to you with, I imagine. But how much further do they have to go and, and do, do clubs realise like it, I, my observation is it's very hard to get into the top 50 these days oh, it, yeah. it's there's a, it's pretty competitive up there but there are a lot of golf courses in Australia who have the potential and potentially the budget to move from you know 100 to 150 to somewhere in the second 50 and uh, and but nonetheless I think a lot of them think they just have to fix up a couple of holes and they have to get their grooming right and job done. But in fact, these days you've kind of got to dig the whole place up and you know give them eighteen new greens and uh, and, and and even then you're not guaranteed to have something that'll stay in the top one hundred for the next twenty years, right? It's that's right. And you got to ask, you know, why why do we want them in top one hundred too? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, with with I think if it's quality golf. I think you get obsessed with this top 100, you might just, you know, you just sort of get focused too much on the prize rather than actually the process of getting there. And I think that the process of of getting quality golf, if if you end up sort of getting yourselves in the top 100, well, then, then that's sort of a bonus, really. But I think at the end of the day, for your members or for your guests, visitors, uh, if, if it's quality golf, and you say it's it's tough tough to get in the top 50 and it's getting tougher to be in the top 100. And we've got 1,600 golf courses, I guess, um, of that sort of number. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if it's about selling memberships and getting visitors to pay a decent dollar for a, for a round of round of golf, um, are there are you know is the top 100 the marketing saviour, or or is it just clever marketing and 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 branding and communication of what you got out there into the golfing market? So so I'm not sure. If, you know, the obsession. Some and some clubs do have the potential, obviously, to get in the top 100, and some clubs possibly have the top potential to move from 60 or 70 into the top 50. Um, and 
just depending on the land and the ground that they've and the and the site that they've got. So I, I guess you know, do you do you say, well, you know. Did you say to your club, "Well, look, you're probably not going to get to the top 100"? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been in. I haven't been in that position. But I mean, there's some that clearly will not, and they might have aspirations. But I think the aspiration is to be comfortable in your own skin and be really good at what you are, or in, get better at what you are. And the, if the byproduct is, you know, more members and more people coming and wanting to play your golf course, no matter what. Uh, 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 a posse of golf raiders might put your golf course in. Does you know? Does that really? You're up. You're in the. You're in the posse of golf raiders. It's a posse of the collective. I'm not sure. That's a, <laughs> that's I'm nice. Think, I'm trying to think what the collective <laughs> now of golf raiders. Parliament of golf. Par- raiders. Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the fence. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. So I, I. Yeah. You're you're in the hands of of others to sort of say, well, your golf course has made the grade or not. So I don't. Yeah. It's it's a tricky one. It's interesting, isn't it, Harley? I think that the rating systems of all of the magazines, and it's the magazine magazines that are at the heart of these top 100 ratings, certainly here in Australia, and I think you could say that fairly well globally, they seem to have in the modern era much more educated panels about what makes good golf course architecture. Without a doubt. And they're looking for different things to perhaps what they used to in the 80s and 90s when we saw a period of other stuff. I'm not sure that spills over to golfers, and I'm not sure that most week-to-week golfers would agree with the criteria that the magazines tend to rate courses on now. And the prime example of that is always going to be condition. Golfers, as a rule, rate golf courses predominantly on the condition of the grass on the day that they played. And if it's their home course, it's the week-to-week condition. And if it's a course they visit, then it's on the condition. How do we do we need to educate golfers about that? It, all it takes really, for the most part, is money to make a golf course well conditioned yeah but that doesn't mean that golf will be better for that if all the golf courses of the world were in better condition it would do nothing really to promote the game and all of its great benefits to people and communities which we all agree golf has so how do we as golfers get beyond that and i think every golfer who's got an interest in architecture has the same frustration on a weekly basis when they talk to their fellow members and the complaints they get aren't about the stupidly placed tree on the third it's about the consistency of the sand. The, exactly. The, the bunker on the second didn't have as much sand as the bunker on the fourth. Yeah, I think. I th- I, yeah. And you're getting back to what you said before. You, we've got raiders now that are far more knowledgeable and, and better educated. I think, the by and large, if, if you have an interest in golf courses and golf course design, there's a lot of material out there, you know, golf club It's a, it's a golden and, age of golf course design interest, isn't it? Yeah, it if, is. If not and, design itself, certainly and, interest in golf and, course. And knowledge, yeah. and, and which is a great thing. I mean, that knowledge wasn't around, you know, I remember talking to Clates there's, back in 2000, there's this, golf club, there's this website called Golf Club Atlas. Yeah. And, uh, oh, 20 years only. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and talked to him about that. And he said, Oh, what's, and then, you know, and he hadn't, and, you know, the discussions were going on back then. So, and so you've got a lot of people looking at that stuff and reading that stuff and seeing these discussions. So there's, there's by and large a, a high level of knowledge, uh, amongst the Raiders, but also amongst the, uh, amongst golfers. But I think, you know, Clates did a great article. I think last year was it called "Brown is Good" or something like that. Um, Pick a year. Award winning. I reckon Clates. Award winning. I reckon Clates would have done that article at least once a year for the last thirty years. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and and Clates writes beautifully, and he and he and he and he's you know that that article was on point, and it really and 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 didn't you know RM at the President's Cup show that last year where you know 
you know, I said, the, you know, not the brown was good, it was the green and gold. You had the green ribbons of fairways, you had these golden roughs, and it, it was an example of these brown, goldy, sandy roughs uh, with these green fairways in, in the middle of all that. And, you know, 20 years ago, people, some people were saying, oh, those scrappy old roughs at Royal oh. Melbourne, I don't see why Royal Melbourne's so good, you know. But beautiful I up, and aesthetic. I'm back up at Hope Island in the Gold Coast, and it's all wall-to-wall mown grass. It's so much better than Royal Melbourne. But, and you know, I've actually – I remember someone <laughs> 25 years ago saying that Hope Island was better than Royal Melbourne <laughs> because the grass was better mm. condition, you know. So but I think we've come a long way since then, and, and – uh, I think the younger generation of, of, of golfers too are, are dialed into these discussions, I guess. so, And I guess boards and committees are, are by and large, better have better knowledge than, than before too. The President's Cup Royal Melbourne aesthetically is the most pleasing golf course I've ever had the pleasure to walk on. It was just perfect. Maybe uh, the best conditioned course in the world. Just looking at every aspect of it. The, the fact that it allowed the- Tiger... To the, do what he education. did and show what he showed and and give the game that memory to always go back to that was just a masterclass. Yeah. Something about that course brought that out in yeah. him. He's got it. Yeah, and out. I think he said, "I said we wish he wish we played more courses this, like this. We is wish, what golf this is what be. golf should be, and we should play more courses like this, right?" So, so that was a good advocate <laughs> for um, you know, the brown is good of what Clayton was talking about, and, and you know, someone like Tiger comes out and says it, and. Um, yeah, the, the, you know the turf was amazing. The playing surface was amazing condition, and you had that contrasting uh, dry, desolate, golden roughs was uh, superb. So, uh, look, I think the knowledge is out there, and the more I guess we in the industry communicate about it, and you know, it's either the written word or, or you know opportunities through podcasts like this, the, the better. I'm optimistic for that reason too. I think <laughs> just having the information out there, people will discover it, and most people come to an interesting course architecture by discovery. It's not something you can instill in someone, is it, Adrian? You can't say to the bloke you're playing with Saturday, you should be interested in course architecture. Go and read this. Less effective than someone coming to you and saying, hey, you're interested in course architecture. I saw something that made me think the other day. The the problem just perpetuates, though, where they can go on the golf trip and see great classic architecture and and then come back and then just think that doesn't apply to my home course. (laughs) The lobotomy lobotomy of home, as Rand Morissette calls it. It is just just remarkable. Like, I, I, you know, people at my club who just insist – you know, all they need to do is to get the grooming right. Like, oh, it's just the grooming that lets our golf course down. And, you know, they they don't really, uh, you know, have a – the word strategy doesn't doesn't come into the conversation. But, uh, you know, they, then you ask them what they like about whatever golf course they played on their golf trip, and it's like, oh, it was great strategy and, you know, that's I, – I don't get that. They just can't see that transporting home. But it would be interesting to see, you know, in this environment now with COVID – you know, a little bit more introspection. Yeah, very and, much so. Uh, you're just looking at what you've got. In a, in a way, the mystique of faraway golf courses has been restored yeah. a little bit. Uh, Although our digital technology stripped a lot of it. The drone footage of the world's classic golf courses has been fantastic and a joy to watch, it but it has also removed, as you've put it, a lot of the mystique. It has. Uh, that said, I, I feel like you take a much greater interest in something if there's the promise that you can go and play there at some point, and like I know, if I'm, you know, got a got a trip planned, I'll I'll be looking and researching. The, I'll know the courses I'm going to play pretty much intimately before I get there. 
but I've you know personally kind of lost interest in that a little bit now, and I'm and the more no introspective, point, you're not going to get there. So well, well that's, that's right. right. The more introspective view I've got of it now is I'm much more interested in discovering courses around me and and looking at what's what's around the place. Yeah. And I would still want to play good architecture though. So. Um, you know, hopefully a lot of people share that view. Well, certainly we're not going to be jumping on planes to go and play golf, are we? No. So, so um, in that sense, it is the is the great Aussie road trip with the clubs and the boot and, and go and discover some things here. You can get the ferry to Tasmania. How many clubs can, can you fit in the Nobu? Subaru? Well, um, um, oh, comfortable. I've got the Forest. You've got the Outback, haven't you? Forester. Yeah, you've got a Forester as yeah, well. Fozzy, no, we're, we're golden. No problem. <laughs> they do tend to be a bit short on leg room in the back, though, the Forester. So I'll be driving. You can sit up front and you'll just have to squash yourself into the the rear seat just to back up a little bit of course tiger we mentioned tiger in the president's cup and that great performance and he captained the team against ernie Els, who made some news during mm. the week last week yeah advocating for i suspect he was exaggerating i think he's in the pocket of big rough but knee high rough and firm and fast and what narrow would, narrow and narrow narrow what does that actually mean Harley? i'm not sure people understand what that might mean firm and fast with knee high rough is well, that would just be the most uninteresting form of defensive golf imaginable, wouldn't it, for people who've got incredible talent at the top level? Yeah, and, 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 and 20 yards wide at the, at the landing zone with knee-high rough. And, and yeah, just it, I guess it just... Um, he's not alone, you know, though, is the thing, isn't it? There's an awful lot of people who said, well, he's right. It, Pros included. I mean, he might be thinking like a, a place like Muirfield or somewhere like that where, you know, when the Open was there last, it was extremely firm and you did have knee-high rough. But the issue is it, it's... Wispy, and you can. It's there's not, a chance of recovery from that. You can actually, you can actually see it. your ball yeah, from right. ten meters away in in that knee high rough. It's it's this wispy stuff that where there's a chance of recovery, and you know it's a it's a lottery. You might actually have a good lie in there, but it comes really fairly one dimensional off the tee, doesn't it? Like you've all of a sudden, you know, uh, Jeff Ogilvy, you said you know week in week out, you know you you just basically just. Pulling out the driver and hitting it straight down the middle, you know, and, and that's it. You know, you're not having to do these creative shots or necessarily get yourself to one side of the fairway to have an angle in um, to the particular pin on the day. So I think that's where, obviously, Royal Melbourne, you know, we've discussed a lot, but it's the classic wide, grand, grand uh, uh, golf course where it's where you get yourself on the one particular side or part of the fairway. It gives you the advantage into these greens. So... When you're 20 yards wide, you've just got one option that's hit it down the middle, and it's kind of like this: either I'm I'm on or I'm off, I'm as opposed to binary, isn't it? So there's not much in the way of creativity. And if you've got my classic pet hate is is short rough that's one yard off the rear edge of a green that holds the balls up, um, and then and and all this slowness and and softness around the greens, then you 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 know I think a lot could be said for just tightening and firming and letting balls roll away from greens and and that's where scoring you know the resistance to scoring is going to be more around the greens complexes and just get these get these fairways and holes wide so i'm you can't combine that firm and fast with punishing rough can you because it's a recipe for just hacking out of rough all day long if if the greens are firm and there's knee high rough just over the back of them we're well, going to be in knee high rough just off the back of the green all day that's, that's what's going to happen yeah so when, when what you want is to see players as you say Awkward shots from thirty yards away. Yeah. Firm and fast is great if the ball's got somewhere to run. Yeah. Otherwise, and out, and out of the rough, it's just you know, well, wedge, wedge in the air, bang on the green. There's no sort of running shots up. And you, me, and Jeff Ogilvy are almost equal when the rough's knee high. We all take the same wedge in and take the same, especially when it's slash Kentucky bluegrass he'll, he'll, or he'll, something. He'll do it better, yes, yeah. but he's reduced to essentially the same minimal skill set 
That was interesting. Ernie came out with that, and or you know, given the fact that he also has been a big fan and advocate of you know when he when he's come to Australia and played the courses, and he's been on several Presidents Cup teams, hasn't he? Although, in fairness, Harley he did say after the World Match Play in two thousand when they had it at Metro, Metro, yep, that he said. I think privately to somebody at some point. Everyone raves about Royal Melbourne. This is the best golf course on the sandbelt about Metropolitan. He said there's no golf course in the world that's in as good a condition as this. That's so very much conditioning. That <laughs> might that might have given us a peek into what Ernie's thinking. Isn't what he's tapping into there, Harley, a really interesting element of golf, I think, which is this notion of crime and punishment. Chamblee goes on about this all the time. He's mathematically calculated what the percentage of a stroke should be uh, you know, allotted to you as a punishment if you've missed the fairway. Is that the right way to think about golf? And what are the roles of crime and punishment and risk and reward? Are they the opposite sides of the same coin? Yeah, crime and punishment. Yeah, it's just... Um, you've missed the fairway. There's a half-stroke penalty. Yeah, it's... it's. I don't know. That's where the game comes from or where it should be going to. I, I guess... We've, we've 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 had thrills watching you know great escape artists like Mickelson. You know he's you know, he's probably one of the greatest escape artists of a lot. Sevy, Sevy coming out of wild uh, angles of, off the tee and coming out of some amazing uh, escapes. Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not sure uh, crime and punishment. I'm not sure uh, how tough it should really be. You know whether it's black and white like that. I, I'm, I'm not sure I can further the comment really. Um, yeah, I, there's, I, there's just, that. I just think that the, the whole complete punishment, you know, and, and sort of complete loss as opposed to having an option to then, you know, sh- show a you know a good creative shot out of, you know, out of something that's more playable than completely unplayable, I think, anyway. It's water, isn't it? That's what water is on a golf course. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an unrecoverable yeah. shot. It's, yeah. it's, it's just gone. And so it favours the better player. The player yeah. who can carry it has the advantage. So you punish, yeah. you, you punish the wrong person. What I guess what makes it less interesting, or what makes a different type of strategy more interesting, is that you have you can have delayed punishment. Yes, if you find yourself out of position, I think that's a more that's right. The tee shot is easy, but you've now you, you've hit the fairway, but you've hit it on the wrong side. Now you've really got a problem. That's yeah. right. are you going to give up a stroke to get back in position, or are you going to try to take it on? And that separates Seve and Jeff Ogilvy from you and me. Yeah. Yeah. Sevy and Jeff can say, hey, I've got a good lie here, I can do something with this. You and I say, well, I can't do anything, I'm going to have to chip it back to yeah. a position where I can putt it towards the green. For, for me, that's more fun and exciting than, uh, oh, well, he's just to reload out of a, well, off a tee. And, and what's more interesting, don't, don't we use the wrong language in golf? I, I very inarticulately tried to write this column the other week. Hard, easy, good and bad. Is it not the wrong language for golf? Shouldn't the words we really think about be interesting and fun, mm-hmm. imagination and flair, compelling? Hard and easier and good about good article, too, too narrow. It would. If I yeah. had half a brain, I would have written it well. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but we use the wrong language, don't we? That golf course is hard. That golf course is easy. That golf course is good. That yeah. golf course is bad. Yeah. They're too narrow, aren't they? Golf yeah. can't be contained by such simple. That's right. Look, and even within, you know, that's within 18 holes, even within holes of the golf course, you've got, you know, so I think it's, yeah, it's fun, it's interesting, it's creative, you know, the flair, I like I like that language more than mm. just, your, you know. It's more interesting to listen to, isn't bad it? Bad and hard and easy. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I love the, in golf terms, the ability of flexibility. I love, you know, you mentioned the notion before, playing off the front forward tees. Why do we all bash ourselves in the heads and always want to play off the back? Mm. 
Uh, and where and people will argue with, they will they will fight tooth and nail to never allow you to play a, month, a monthly medal off the forward tees to the easy flags. That's not what a monthly medal's for. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well not even a monthly medal. I, I, I know of one club where they're you know week in week out they're playing off the back tees within five meters of the same spot week in week out. Where's the you know we mentioned the word interest? Interesting. Where where's the interest in that? Where all of a sudden, bang. You're, you're 30 metres forward and all of a sudden you've got to think about your shot because 30 metres forward, actually those bunkers up there on the left-hand side might actually be my shot. I've actually got to think about where I play instead of just aimlessly just walking up on the tee, pulling out the driver and having a whack, knowing that I can't reach those bunkers and therefore they're not in my, my thinking. So I think how much fun would it be to um, mix it up a lot more and having a great flexibility of tee shots and all of a sudden, well, boys, you're off the reds today. Oh, and you, you go and play off the and have a whole lot more fun mm-hmm. playing off there or, or even mix it up where we have a few back and a few forward and really within the, within the 18 holes we've got, really mix it up. Well, uh, and, great and Thomas notion from LA Country Club, the course within a course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a course within a course where you could be a member of a golf club that essentially has four golf courses in one 18-hole set with a couple of extra sets of tees and a couple of extra greens. And you could be a member of a course that a club that had four courses yeah. on the same eighteen hole piece of land. I'm surprised that never took off, and I think it's time. Will I, th- come. I think it's coming, and I think that sort of flexibility of tee options, and I think tees yeah. especially. We never think about putting extra tees 30, 40, 50 meters away from where the or, or just in are. unusual places where, like I think uh, it's Yarra Yarra have some tees just in the rough in really weird spots where you can actually play little par threes to different greens. That, yeah. The holes that aren't holes that yeah, they're always I think yeah, yeah, some yeah. sort of formalised that there. Yeah, they have. They've done it. They've yeah. put tees in in one sort of corner of the course near the entry road on the way in um, using existing greens and, a, and a, a spare par three. They've been able to create a situation where you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon summer, they can turn off the 18 holes and turn on this little nine-hole oh, par three wow. course that comes from these tees from under trees in different angles. Oh, wow. A bit of fun. Idea, isn't it? Oh, yeah. uh, which they can, you know, you can... And uh, it's, I'm sure... Look, I'm, I haven't heard much feedback on it, but I'm sure it's going to be pretty popular with... Oh, um, you like playing Mangrove Mountain within Yarra Yarra. Yeah, so, there you go, with less hills. That's, <laughs> Mangrove's a bit hilly. So I think that's where, again, golf mm. clubs can be really clever of, of you know, using your existing land, be comfortable with what you've got, and actually how can we inject some fun into this place without spending too much money and, and, and being a bit creative with it. And I think there, there's an opportunity for, um, you know, for shorter shorter hitters, short, you know, juniors, older players to still stay connected with their club, or bring younger players into the club by giving them something that it's not the big beast of the of the championship layout. It's a fun little thing that you know grandparents can take their grandkids or the the old boys on Thursdays having a bit bit trouble doing the whole big eighteen thing eighteen hole thing now can get in there and have fun with their mates, little nine holes within the eighteen hole layout. So. Um, yeah, that just makes it from a management point of view and maintenance point of view and cost of, of, of doing it is a small cost and the cost of maintaining is a small cost but inject a whole lot of fun and interest into the layout. The so. return on investment is high. I've got one last question for you, Harley, and then I've been hogging this, Adrian. I apologise, but I want you to ask your 12-hole question of Harley when I finish oh, this, sure. so spend some time formulating that. Speaking of Yarra Yarra, I put this to, Dom, to Tom Doak when I interviewed him for The Thing About Golf, shameless self-promotion there, another podcast that I do for Golf Australia magazine. Go and have a listen to it on the Talking Golf Network. If Augusta National was built this year and they hosted a professional tournament, what would the modern touring pro say about it? If Augusta National was built now. If it was built now. As, as it was built in, and opened in 1932. As it looks now even. 
Right, because it was interesting because in 1932 it, it was built and and for Bobby Jones and and Dr. McKenzie the uh, it was good enough to have 22 bunkers. That 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 was that sufficed. And whether that was an economical... Well, some of those holes have got two bunkers. It's way over the bunker <laughs> Today it has 44 bunkers, but it, you know, that sufficed at the time. Now, I don't know the full history, whether that was just a, uh, an era where there wasn't a lot of money about. Let's get the thing built. You know, they got the routing fundamentally right. The foundations are there. The embellishment was 22 bunkers. And um, you know, ultimately, over time, it's now 44 bunkers. But... Uh, I think, you know, the fundamental thing is the routing was right, you know, and, and in terms of the modern pros and championship, I mean, maybe if, you know, if those two gentlemen were building that today, you know, the course might have been 7,600 yards and all those, I'd, I'd imagine there would have been that sort of um, pressure on the layout if the land was big enough, you know, and so... Would the pros appreciate the greens? Yeah, because it, it's it, crazy, wouldn't it? It's they'd, every well. I think the, be like, oh, the quote from Chambers Bay was it's a joke course. I think it was Ryan Palmer put your put your coin in the slot and go for a ride on yeah. the greens. That it was some sort of crazy novelty fair idea. I think that's what the reaction would be. Dope said the same thing, yeah. but I think we need to be careful about placing too much importance on either side of the debate about what Tiger says and what Ernie Els says. About golf, because under Ernie's model, Augusta National's off the schedule. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and th- and there was a club that obviously con- you know, created their own event and controlled their own uh, destiny in terms of their event. You know, so they they didn't care. You know, they, they, they didn't care what the, the pros thought. But I'm saying they, they created this event on their course. This is us. This is what we are. And I guess the mystique and the mystery and, and the history of that event has allowed this to. You put it straight out there as a, a PGA venue, and yeah, you're probably well, right. It, it would get the same reaction Trinity Forest got, yeah, I suspect, yeah. which was it got two years and then yeah. it was moved. That, but we, don't, we don't go back there anymore. Yeah, and so it's, it's Augusta's very much about this one prestige. It is, event, it? but it? even yeah. they've succumbed. The introduction of the second cut it was at ninety eight, ninety nine after the Woods um, massacre in nineteen ninety seven, adding length of about what six hundred yards in the last twenty years, which is what it's a decent par five for most of us, plus some. It's probably a legitimate par five for touring pros, which is saying something. Yep. That's a lot of golf course to add yep. to an existing golf course, uh, and it's. I still don't think it's necessarily well. All the par fives are reachable, aren't they? I don't think there's any that are out of reach for the field mm. each year at Augusta, and they play from 60 to 100 yards back from where the members play it. So, yeah. you know, people hear us talk about the ball and it goes too far, and they think it's some sort of knock on the modern professional and we're, people are trying to handcuff them and restrict their talents. And uh, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger concept and issue than that, isn't it, I think? Golf's got some serious questions to consider about that and not just at the elite level. You would yeah. see it on a regular basis, suburban club courses and private members clubs who have issues to do with safety because the modern young golfer with the big-headed driver and the ball that <clears throat> goes a long way still hits it offline, and when they hit it offline, they hit it further offline, and therefore right. they're a play- we all know someone who plays off 20 who can hit it 300 yards. Yep. Um, they're not. It's not uncommon. So it's seeping further down. I mean, in many ways, the professional golf can do what they want. Who cares if they wedge into every par four? You get to mm. choose whether you watch that or not. Yep. But the game's bigger than that professional game. And those issues about distance and what we want the game to be as golfers, uh, it's a, I feel like it's a real nexus at yeah. the moment. And yeah. there's some of the ways that I think about it. And I, I hope others sort of 
give certainly, it. Certainly, certainly golf. You know, the younger golfers they're fit and athletic and strong. They're just a club level. They are bombing it, and 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 you know, if they're not bombing it down the middle, they're you know bombing it a lot wider than we used to. We used to have safety setbacks thirty years ago from the center of a golf hole to a property boundary about fifty meters, and and a lot of golf courses. You know, even suburban Sydney would be less than that in many places, and then and then, but now we're looking at seventy meters. So, the arena in which we play not only needs to be longer, it needs to be wider, and that wider. equals that equals more land. And mm-hmm. and so, that's the sort of the issue that we're we're faced with as golf course architects and you know developers, where they they're wanting to you know build you know if they're building and doing an eighteen hole golf course, with, um, you just need more land to do it. And land, of course, costs money, which. Might be a nice segue, Adrian, into the twelve hole layout because you need you don't need as much land with the twelve holes, obviously, than you do as eighteen. But and you can still have quality quality golf. Yeah, and less fun is going to be the question, Adrian. What? Well, it, it's a question that comes up every time a relatively small property, particularly a metropolitan property, has a bit of money or comes into a bit of money. Like, let's say they sell a car park. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say for, let's example. Just say, for example they sell a car park and they they come into a bunch of money they've got a small property they they have 18 holes and it's a very short course and you'll have a huge amount of resistance to going to anything less than 18 holes and 12 holes is the number that always comes up but i actually think 12s like not necessarily 12, the number 14, you should get stuck well, on like I, 12 to me you, you play 12 holes and i kind of want a little bit more like 12 leaves me wanting a little bit more 15's the sweet spot for me mm-hmm. i'm well then, a little let's, bit let's do that then the wheels that's what works for you for me in my round after 15 holes so 15 i think's the sweet spot that should edwin be, roald says that should be the new vernacular whatever the number fit. of golf holes yeah. that fit on the land yeah whatever which is an interesting idea that won't fly anywhere we know but no. that's a that said idea. i i do think there's there's courses like Northbridge is not a bad example in Sydney where you couldn't actually really reduce the number of holes there too much because the land is the is so weird you've got to you connect. can just you can just fit like one hole on that plateau and then another hole on that plateau and you can't really join them together to form less right, holes like connect, yeah. it's just eighteen small holes and I think you can have a really fun par sixty two par sixty four it can be a lot yeah, of fun of tremendous fun if especially if there's great architecture and be interesting to see what happens down at Sandringham and what that looks like in the end I'd love to get down there and have a look but um we'll never know that, what that's going to be was, though, will we, a short tremendously fun eighteen holes and the opportunity was there to make that a twelve hole course but with uh you know that that experiment is yet to play out like that's what right. what a twelve hole course in a metropolitan area how it will do. Mm. And you know what, what's it, what's it going to take to get that experiment off the ground, and how do you think it'll play out? You might be you're in the pool of people that might be asked to actually lead the way here, Harley. It's going to be a golf yeah. course architect asked to do it at some point. Isn't I think. It? So what I think, they, what yeah, do you think? That's right. I mean, and I think post two thousand eight GFC, there was a big call internationally. You know, with golf courses closing in America, etc. That maybe golf should be a smaller version, and uh, you know, nine holes, twelve holes, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, and yet, to this day, we still don't have a twelve-hole new layout done that I'm aware of since since that time here in Australia. Um, and so there's been a lot of talk, and then someone said, "Well, so okay, so okay, twelve. But where's an example of one?" And I'm going, "Well, actually, there isn't one. Uh, it's going to take someone." And look, I guess you know, an 18 hole golf course shoehorned into a tight site in suburban Sydney, where you've got external danger, internal danger. You know, uh, the quality of the, the of the golf compromised. To, to to take the brave step, maybe to 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 turn it into 12, 13, 14, or fifteen holes, Adrian, maybe uh, to do that and actually to deliver it on the ground and 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 show that delivering a quality 
quality golf that's not necessarily 18 but is a quality fun interesting place um is 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 the challenge and i think that's that that's i think when it does get when it gets done people realize well that's really what fits to that site you know um and there's numerous other golf courses that are shoehorned in in sydney um and you know chatsford golf club has got seven tee shots where you're crossing over another golf hole i mean that's just you just can't Keep go one, doing one that or in two modern. of those is quirky, but seven is seven tee shots. <laughs> Seven's a problem. Seven tee shots. We're hitting across another golf hole, and then you know it is dangerous, and um, and and so. But there, you know, a comfortable fit might be something that's not eighteen holes there. I suspect, and and uh, and given where it's located, uh, and given, I think too, they've got to basically have that twelve or thirteen or fourteen, fifteen holes really appeal to just a broad range of golf you know try and try and say to some of the clubs you've got to think of a non-golfer that's outside your gate how you're going to get them into the club into the hitting the ball and then and then becoming a golfer and then turning them into a member and and a lot of clubs don't deliver that and a facility that's tight on space might be have the, a great chance to re reimagine itself and actually deliver that so if and you be- focus on the existing golf market what you're focusing on is a shrinking market aren't you if you're a golf facility and you yeah. think your customer base is existing golfers then you have set yourself the target of doing business in a constantly shrinking market yep. because though that that number is going down every year. We know that. Yep. This COVID thing has changed that a little bit. People have started yeah, yeah, to yeah. join clubs again. But the reality is that that business model is targeted at a shrinking market and there's not an industry in the world that's ever succeeded with that as its prerequisite. Right. We understand why golf is unique. There's all sorts of things going into that. But as a business proposition – yeah. That's what you're doing. If you if you're part of running a golf club and you've decided that your target market is existing golfers, you're kind of signing your own death warrant in a way, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. You've got to be creative, and you've got to think too that don't try to be something you're not. Like you know, if you're a tight site, you're never going to be the 18 hole full size championship golf course. It's a risk, it's, isn't it's, it? It's, you Nobody's know, saying it's not a risk. There is a risk yeah, because the risk. existing golf market will reject it. Yeah, the the traditional thinking, the traditional thought process will reject it, um, as opposed to you know. Um, those who, who say, well, I've got time for 12 holes, I've got time for nine holes, I'm going to do six holes, you know, six and six, you know, they're, they're just the combinations of permutations of having a tight piece of land and, again, being creative with the layout so that you can play uh, six holes, you know, six holes, six holes and get 12, or you can play 12 plus six and get your 18 or just play nine holes by shutting down a few holes. So um, it's just, I guess, changing that traditional model. And well, If you remove the numbers from the thinking, this would probably be, not an unhealthy thing to do sometimes for the playing of the game itself as well. Just remove the numbers, numbers, pars, and you know how many strokes you've taken and how that relates to this measuring stick. If instead of people saying I've only got time for twelve holes or fifteen holes, if all people said was I've got time for some golf, golf, yeah. and there is a golf facility, yeah. and that golf facility happens to have twelve holes or eight holes or fourteen holes or sixteen holes, it doesn't matter where it is. I've got time for some golf and for some part of that golf. That's a more likely scenario in the future. than what we have now. People will consume golf much more that way, I suspect, in 25 years than they do now. I've got time for some golf. Not not I've set aside my Wednesday afternoon or my Saturday to go and play 18 holes of competition golf each week because that's what I do. There's going to be less and less than that and more and more of I'm going to play some golf. Yeah. Ironically, though, in the areas where that would most be useful, like metropolitan areas – that that's the area where it's least likely to succeed because uh, I, I just I feel like in a place like, in a city like Sydney, people are just so obsessed with 
cordoning off that afternoon or that one day that they've got to play golf, that they're going to use it for a comp. They're, there's just no way they're going to... If you're catering to the existing golf market. Well, now, if you take the lessons that Sandy Jamison has taught us, which is think outside the box, forget about the existing market. Not as in, you know, reject them, but hey, you're an existing golfer, great. You want to come and play one club golf? Do it. You want to use your full set? That's fine. But what Sandy has done is come up with an innovative idea of one club golf and taken it to the market of non-golfers. And he has had, I think, he has been far more successful than I thought he would be. Mm. I was sceptical and I was nervous for him. I like Sandy and I Mm. thought that this idea had a chance of failing miserably. And the same would be true of a golf facility that went to less than 18 holes. It would have a great chance of failing as as we look at it. But that thinking change is only going to happen well, it's going to be forced on golf, I think, well, it from will the outside be. regard, because it already has been. Commercially, you know, it's going to be, you know, you've got to survive out there, uh, and commercially, you know, you, you have to do you have to do some sort of change, uh, and if you shoehorn into a really tight site, you know, people are going to play it once, and they won't come back, you know, but if, if, it's, if there's a quality offering, um, I think, you know, in certain de- demographies of, of of Sydney, we're talking about Chatswood, say, you know, where it is located between the city, Chatswood, North Sydney, it's in a great location. But it's not a quality offering at the moment, but if there was a quality offering that wasn't 18 holes, I think people are going to go to it in droves. We've you just know? put down Chatswood, Walton Heath. Yeah. Where it was <laughs> places yeah. places Harley and Metropolitan the other day. Metropolitan, yeah, we yeah. can't play there. Um, so, yeah, and look, it, I guess when we're talking about 18 holes, we're talking about traditional golf and we're probably talking the over 50s market that exists today. But if the younger generation... Them on the list over 50s. <laughs> <laughs> just defended them. I'm in there too. I am Don't too. worry. But if, 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 if we're talking, you know, the, the ones are going to have a greater appetite for the flexibility of change, I guess, is the younger generation coming through. This, um, this really is my last question. It's probably a bit more of a cerebral one, and it's for both of you. Why, Adrian, do we as golfers try to narrow everything about the game from the physical playing space? Why do people see a natural, you know, well, if we narrow it and make it, uh, it'll be fairer? But we also do it without thinking about the game. Golf courses have to be 18 holes. They have to have four par fives and four par threes. They have to be par 72. This narrowness that people impose on the freest of all recreational pursuits. You don't have the lines of tennis or football or cricket in golf. What you have is this wonderful free-form pursuit, unlike any other. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we as humans do is try Try to impose boundaries on it, narrow it down and define it and make it something. It has to be this and it has to be that. Why do we do that? Well, the only... The only actual constraint on a golf course is the size of the cup, isn't it? That's the that's the actual only thing in the rules of golf about what the playing field should look like. And uh, but yeah, funnily enough, we we come up with all of these other rules because that's the way it's always been done. And it does take, uh, you know, a Sandy Jamison or some crazy people. <laughs> and he is to, Sandy. You are crazy. What's that? That, that uh, in a good way. Steve Jobs' quote comes to mind. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the troublemakers, the square pegs and the round holes. Uh, that That's kind of what needs to shake things up and cause a bit of disruption and um, uh, have people think different. So that Does golf have enough of them to save itself, Harley? The lunatics and the, the offbeat thinkers? 
Yeah, I hope so. I guess the answer to the question, I hope it does. I think, look, I think it probably does. And I think, you, getting back to the, your question, I think people like predictability, don't they? They like sort of things to be consistent and, and, and this sort of predictable nature. And golf is perhaps the antithesis of that. And it, it is wild and free, as you say, with a whole lot of variables. It's a sport with an incredible amount of variables. Um, when you're out in nature playing a game like that where dimensions vary uh, enormously, Maybe we are trying to define things and sort of compartmentalise things and put it into a sort of this comfort zone that we know week in, week out, uh, as opposed to something that could be widely variable. So, um, so I think that's part of it. I think it's 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 part of letting it f- be free and free flow and not define it too hard. And and getting back to this you know, flexibility of tees, throw it out there, boys. We're playing off here, and ladies are playing off here today, and and just mix it up a bit and get that fun and variety and interest in, 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 into it. So as opposed to sort of just trying to define it and lock it in as it's this is it and, you know, the debate about uh, a given hole where it's a par four or par five, you know, at the end of the day, certain short fives are really par fours for the better players, but they're, you know, par fives for the shorter hitters. You know, it's just, oh, we can't have par four and a half, can we? But we're kind of, so there's this wanting to sort of pigeonhole and compartmentalise things into where they are as opposed to being a bit more looser and a bit more freer with it and a bit more interesting perhaps. So. Well, we, of course, have talked ourselves out of the ability to go to any golf course, it would seem, around the world in the last hour or so. So it'll just be uh, it'll be just theoretical for us from now on. But for all of those who still play golf, let's hope that they keep enjoying it. Harley, it was fantastic to have you here last time. It's been fantastic again. And if ever for any reason this one can't come and co-host, you're this always again. welcome to come and sit in the co-host's chair. <laughs> I'm constantly you, under threat. You are you con- see what I've That's the only way to keep you interested and it's on your toes. workplace harassment. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> a bit you're of looking, workplace bullying. I think you're looking very secure and comfortable yeah, in that yeah, chair, Adrian. It's been great to chat. <laughs> Thanks right. for coming along. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Pleasure. And Adrian, much as I... It, it pains me to say it's been fantastic to have you as always uh, and your contributions today, so thank you. Right, thank you, Rod. And for those still... Li- oh, Most generous. Oh, he's, he's got the drooping lip. I've really heard him this time. It's cut deep. Uh, we will be back, of course, to do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.